0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk computers, new technology, the internet, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, tonight on the show, it's Dan Salmon. Dan, uh, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you, Warren? I'm good. You've been, uh, you've been pursuing all kinds of pursuits in the past couple of weeks. Um, have you had a chance to... Use some technology, have some fun. Has technology done anything good for you in, in the past week or so?
2: Technology has done all kinds of great things. Technology got people to our Fringe show. Um, ah. But, yeah, I, I think I would just like to say that I did lose the plot in, in line with the name of the show. So uh, thanks to everyone for your support. Um, I've,
1: I'm still on an adrenaline crash, if I'm honest. Um, okay. But, yeah, it was good fun. We'll, uh, we'll We'll help you get through the next hour or so. Do what we can. Uh, Also on the show tonight, it's Laura. How are you, Laura?
3: Yeah, really good as well. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Um, Mm. Have you had any good tech moments in the past week? Um, Anything that stands out?
3: Look, I just have been having a little bit of a play with the new iOS features on iPhone. I Mm. quite like the scribble feature. That's quite fun. That is fun. Um,
1: Does but, it make you want to get a stylus? I kind of go looking around for something. Uh,
3: look, I've been kind of shopping for a stylus for ages. I still haven't found one that has like the articulation that I'm after that mm. works well on different platforms. So, um, yeah, that's 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 kind of been, like ongoing on my wish list at the moment. Actually, a good stylus that isn't like dorky.
1: Has anyone sent you a laser party yet? Have you seen that one?
3: No. Oh, I did. Someone someone demoed all the backgrounds, and I do yeah. I do like them. They're pretty cool.
1: They're pretty nice. Um, I'll also be joining you. I'm Warren Davies. It's going to be a good show tonight. Um, I'm really excited um, to share it with you all. Um, in 2008, uh, there was actually already uh, already more connected devices than people uh, connected to the internet. Uh, and in eight years from now, it's actually expected that there'll be 27 billion machine to machine connections, uh, which is staggering. Uh, it's both exciting and uh, potentially a, a large mess. Um, none of these things are really talking to each other in a, in a cohesive way, um, which some people are trying to solve. Uh, YOW uh, Connected is a two-day conference uh, exploring the connected and Internet of Things aspects of our world, uh, as well as mobile. Uh, we'll be joined by two of the team shortly to talk through um, some of the problems that 27 billion machines might create for us and some of the opportunities as well. Uh, you may have heard that there's an election looming uh, in the States. Uh, two parties um, probably are, uh, it's fair to say, a long way away from each other uh, on tech policy. Uh, Clinton and the Democrats um, uh, believe that their technology agenda is all about training people to land good, high-paying uh, jobs in the digital economy. Uh, they're calling for deepened investment in computer science and STEM education uh, in public schools, essentially trying to, uh, I guess, give people the skills that they need to um, work well in the tech sector and to, um, I, I guess, retrain a lot of them. There's a great example of a program in Kentucky uh, where they train former coal miners to be computer programmers, which is awesome. Uh, Trump is, uh, and the, Rep- uh, Republicans are a little bit different, um, and worth hearing. Um, they do oppose the concept of net neutrality, uh, saying it will be used as a tool for censorship. Um, they've had some, um, uh, fairly strange things to say about that. Um, that they do feel that net neutrality is, uh, is a fairness doctrine and, um, or oh, they're concerned that it is going to, uh, target conservative media. Um, in any case, um, he recently spoke about, uh, Trump recently, uh, spoke about, uh, closing up the internet. To curb radical extremism, uh, saying he'd call on um, people like Bill Gates uh, to help, um, I guess, um, place it in a way. So um, maybe trying to trying to do some of the right things, but going about it in the wrong way, um, perhaps. Um, We will actually be speaking to Hardy Michael or Laura will be speaking to Hardy Michael who is um, a worker in tech policy and uh, a developer and uh, many things. Um, He's helped uh, a lot of organisations across financial services, healthcare, government and agriculture um, go through digital transformation and uh, he's got a lot to say about policy. So we look forward to that conversation in a moment. Before we have those chats, let's take a look at what's been happening uh, in tech news, uh, both locally and around the world. Um, There was a debate um, this week. Um, Laura, you found that there's an interesting tool that helps you um, stay in the know about
3: Well, there's been, it's been an explosion for fact checkers all over. Mm. Um, there's been quite a number of them, like, popping their heads up and producing quite a lot of content. Um, but I think Wired was the first, um, online publisher to come up with a live fact checking machine that actually was Publishing out mini blogs and mini statements as the candidates were talking about various issues, which, um, I mean, I don't think maybe it's hugely surprising that there was some obvious low-hanging fruit falsehoods, shall we say, to, to pick out. But, um, I think it was certainly a very interesting application of technology to see, um, like very clear, um, easily annotated, easily to follow, like fact nuggets. Um, one of my favorites being Trump saying that he was never a person who called climate change hoax but in fact said in 2012 the concept of global warming was created for and by the chinese in order to make u.s manufacturing non-competitive interesting one of the wilder warmer theories that we've heard
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so was it i'm assuming it was kind of a bot that was taking what was being said and then kind of spewing out facts or was it someone who was moderating it
3: I believe this was a combination of an automated and a human um, moderator simply because they they must have obviously had an enormous resource bucket, essentially, of um, like, you know, obvious... Topics and facts that they would be wanting to check. But, um, given that there was quite a lot of actual, like, live human commentary, like text along the sort of length of Twitter tweets, essentially. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think there, there, it was a combination of facts they already had to hand and sort of pushing them out straight away and probably, um, probably having, like, live search queries running or else just a shitload of interns. Mm, which that could also have been it.
2: I have a feeling that's <laughs> probably how, uh, cause Hillary Clinton's website actually had its own. Live fact check of everything that Donald Trump was saying. And I reckon that she probably had a fair few unpaid interns, mm. um, doing, doing that for her team.
3: Yeah. Very believable. Oh, yes. Probably very happily, to be fair.
2: Oh, yeah. Let's be honest here. Not, not, not that I'm endorsing any uh, particular candidate, but please don't vote for Donald Trump if you have mm. a US uh, citizenship.
1: You can, you can disendorse. You just can't endorse.
2: Yeah. I think that's fair enough. Yes. It's like, it's like in Australia where it's illegal
1: to tell someone not to vote. Exactly. Mm. Um one of the other races that is uh interesting, um <laughs> if, if if a little uh morbid, is the uh what I've called the slow race uh for Twitter. Um uh, Twitter is uh I, I guess one of the tech darlings of, of um of the past decade. Um like many, they've uh struggled to turn a profit. Um I think I recently saw a figure where they lose uh around four hundred million a year. But uh they do have a, a good market capitalization. It's around thirteen billion. Um they have a, a good user base that's not necessarily growing um but They've got an interesting product. So uh, recent talk is they are uh, on the market and there are a few people interested uh, in them. Uh, Some of the um, uh, brands and acquirers have been talked about. uh, uh, Google, uh, Microsoft um, have recently acquired uh, LinkedIn, of course, uh, Verizon, Um, Amazon, which I think is an interesting one Um, they do, um, they're pretty good with uh, knowing what people want and need um, and the rich kind of keywords and stuff and conversations that you get in Twitter um, seems a good match for them but um also um one of the little guys, Salesforce, is trying to have a go. Um they're worth about four billion um in comparison. Um as a little guy. <laughs> yeah.
3: There I, I recently met a lady at a conference who is like I think head of UX or one of the UX leads at Salesforce and she was telling me about the company and it's that's a lot bigger than anything we have here, let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well yeah. It's kind of um on on a on a global scale or, or a universal scale, um perhaps one of the little guys. But um yeah, they would actually have have to um, uh, have a partner um, in that um, mm. bid. But um, interestingly, I, I guess a, a, rel- a related thing is um, uh, in terms of Salesforce, um, Slack uh, are actually uh, integrating Salesforce, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, Salesforce are always looking for, I guess, better ways to get deeper into a business. And um, if you have any experience in, uh, I guess, collaboration or, or sort of online uh, messaging services, you may have come across Slack uh, as one of the sort of good products out there for, for getting together. Um, I think this this is really interesting um, it's you've got a kind of database over there with um, some features on the front of it that are kind of okay uh, and you've got a great messaging service that doesn't necessarily go too deep into data for the users um, so it seems to make a lot of sense there, especially mm-hmm. if you're, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than calling a utility or you know, a place trying to retrieve a booking or do something like that and, you know, maybe the Salesforce program they're using or maybe they're just not very good at using it um, and a lot of conversation between, say, agents and people on the phone uh, happens in something like Slack or Yammer or mm-hmm. or or Spark or something like that, so...
3: And I was so going to say, sense. I think a lot of customer complaints happen over Twitter as well. Yeah. I know that's, that's a like kind of a common um, escalation point. You know, you mm. try emailing them and if they don't respond to you within a day or two, you get on a, um, Twitter and you essentially, you name shame them. You go yeah. like, you know, company name Zed, please like let me know why I can't do the thing. Um, but it's actually really effective. It is one of the most effective sort of levers for customers to get responses from those people. So as, a, as a customer service tool and like kind of facilitating that conversation, maybe making it a little bit less, frictiony and a little bit more smooth and pleasant i actually think it's a Mm. really good fit um Mm. and certainly um i mean the 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 question of valuation and the question of like how much they're going to grow has obviously been a sticky one for them for a while now but um there's obviously this enormous engaged user base and you know you can't poo-poo that right like there's clearly still a huge value in twitter yeah
1: so um, yeah, it could be uh, it could be a good way to, um, to to sort of help them grow and, and find their um, their next sort of growth spurt, um, mm. as it were. Um, another thing that's interesting uh, is travel to Mars always. We're, we're always on the, the Mars tip. Speaking of, of races, the, the mm-hmm.
2: race to space um, mm-hmm. is still going, mm-hmm. and it's being led by none other than Mr Elon Musk. Um, of, course. of course it is, because uh, he's the only person or entity with enough money to be talking about this kind of stuff. He has, um, at the International Astronomical Conference in the last few days, uh, said that he has got a plan for uh, uh, the human race to properly migrate to Mars. I can see a lot of combis heading up the highway to that conference. Yeah. Yeah. stickers on the back <laughs> it's a great name <laughs> It's an interesting idea. He's um, he's described it as um, a kind of like Battlestar Galactica in that um, all of the kind of ships will be going on mass as some kind of a, of, a fleet of ships. Right. Um, it, it, there's been um, a whole lot of detail that um, I won't go into too much detail about it, mm. but essentially um, he has said that what will happen is that rockets will holding people will fly will be shot up, and will be put into orbit around Earth. At which point um, a the the original ship will return to Earth, pick up a whole lot of fuel, and then go back up into space, refuel the rockets that are currently in orbit, and then when the time is right, they will all phew, exit orbit and head towards Mars. Um, there's there's talk that it will only cost $100,000 US dollars, uh, for a person to relocate to Mars. Um, I can't imagine that that's going to be particularly um, real, and mobile, but it, it's a nice idea. I don't know. Do you guys want to go to Mars? No. I'm not really that keen. The I've- weather doesn't look
1: that good.
3: I look, I want other people to go so I can see what it's like.
2: Totally. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing if we could like do terraforming on Mars, you know, create an ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, once we've got breathable air on Mars, that's where I'm, that's when I'm keen exactly. on going. Exactly. It's yeah.
3: like seven second wave. You wait for like the second release of the software so that you know the bugs have been fixed. <laughs>
2: Just wait for all <laughs> the people over there to die mm. or get it right and then we'll follow you up. You exactly. guys go ahead. You
1: guys go ahead. Mm. We'll be right behind you. Uh, one thing you might be wearing on your trip to Mars is a set of specs. Um, And what would you be doing with your set of specs, Laura, if if you were heading to Mars?
3: Well, you would definitely be taking a ton of video and probably trying to live stream it back to Earth to tell people how freaking cool you were. Mm. Um, Specs is a Snapchat, um, like – Piece of hardware slash faceware, like it is a new type of sunny essentially that people can use to take video of varying lengths and basically stream it directly to Snapchat, which is also being renamed Snap. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I, I don't quite see the value of that, but anyway, that to the side. Um, it's funny, they're, they're, they're clearly sort of moving into this Google Glass territory, um, they're, but they want to bring the price point way down. They've obviously tried to take some learnings from the failings of Google Glass, like you can see. That they've done a lot of work in the industrial design of the product um i'm not sure i still like it like it kind of has a little ray-ban feel to it i don't know what do you guys think
2: i'm honest to be honest i haven't actually seen images i'm just trying to look um, it up now well, they, you. Go ahead. um yeah
1: they 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 do look nice they're mm. kind of they've got that kind of personal kind of ray-ban thing going on yeah um exactly um, they're not oh, they're not as yeah. obtrusive um one of the things that didn't work for glass was the the scarcity. They couldn't make enough of them, and they were too expensive. Mm. Um, and you couldn't kind of pass them off as fashion. Whereas these, no one would necessarily know unless they knew what you were wearing that you were actually streaming video and and what have you. And, so. that, and that's the best way to take sneaky videos of anyone. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna just like you know creep on your friends or something like that, or you know document that party. I mean, the the the, the good thing is you, you don't have to stop what you're doing and take out a piece of plastic from your your pocket and mm. you know get a body together and so forth so Mm. it it is that kind of like seamless you know if you can blink or or touch the frame or something like that off it goes but um yeah 130 Mm. bucks um give or take
3: it is, I think it's intended to have a sort of light indicator that shows you that the video is happening as well. So it's, it's, it's doing the opposite of glass again of being super obvious that there's actually some recording happening. Um, so if you have to touch it with your fingers at the top of the, of the actual glass and at the same time see the light coming on, I think, I think the one thing that they did realize with Google Glass is that most people were really creeped out by the idea of people maybe f- taking photos or videoing them without any kind of visible outward signaling.
1: Mm. Tricky. Uh, we do love a conference in Melbourne. Uh, we do love to get together and talk about stuff, um, especially if we get to stop at the end and have a drink and finally have a chat to each other um, out from behind the computer screens that occupy our lives. Um, one of the most interesting conferences that happens uh, each year is YOW. Um, they do uh, a lot of different events during the year, but YOW Connected uh, is starting in Melbourne uh, next week. Uh, and we are now joined uh, in the studio by Giovanni and on the phone in Sydney uh, with Patrick. Um, guys, thanks for joining. Us tonight, pleasure. Thanks for having us. Uh, so Yao is—it's uh, almost like a series, really, isn't it? It's not just the, the one conference in Melbourne. Um, what's the one thing that ties the, the whole thing together, um, Patrick? What's, what's your point of view on that?
4: Well, Yao is a whole heap of—I guess—events that are all they've all got little sorts of different focuses. Um, but the one that's coming up next week is Yao Connected, which is my personal favorite one. Um, it's. A range of speakers, I think this time there's about 34, and they all come together to share their experiences in mobile development, internet of things, and just emerging technology trends overall. Um, And so the reason I like it the most um, is that with all the YAL events, it's really cool because it kind of encourages the tech community and all the developers to kind of share their knowledge around, um, which I like because it stops people from reinventing the wheel every time. You know, when one person goes off and learns something, it's better for them to tell everybody else so that then we don't have to do what they did. We just jump off from that point and continue doing cool stuff. So that's kind of where I see all of the Yao events. That's kind of what they have in common. But, yeah, Yao Connect is the next one. And then in December, there's a whole bunch, um, three different cities where YOW's signature conference comes up, the Yao 2016 conference.
1: So Giovanni was um, was last year where I believe you met Patrick. Was that your first involvement in Yao, or have you been doing it for a bit, l- bit no, longer? No, it,
0: it was it was my um, first attendance at Yao, my first attendance as a speaker as well. And like yeah, I just bumped into Patrick, and like we just started chatting about all things connected.
1: And what was what was your talk last year?
0: Um, well, my talk last year was about uh, Functor, Applicative, and Monad, which are advanced, func- uh, kind of advanced, functional programming topics in a new programming language that Apple introduced um, three years ago, more or less, called Swift. Okay. So, um, yep, it was just a lot of live coding on stage. Was there a lot of people there who wrote in Swift, and did you did you kind of like find your people there? And- well, the cool thing about all the Yahoo conferences is that there's all, always a variety of people. So like it's not just focused to only one type of um, software developer or like tech enthusiast. Is um, like um, any kind of developer can join. So they could think the cool thing about Yao connected here in Melbourne is that it brings together iOS developers, Android developers, um, mobile developers for the Windows platform and any kind of other developers. So like, yeah, there was a bit of Swift iOS developers, but it was kind of wide and variety.
1: Um, Laura, what, what, what would you look for in a conference like this as a, as a developer? What excites you?
3: Well, I would be curious to know, um, is it is it a simply developer conference or are you have people sort of engaging with all sort of areas of tech? Is it UXers and designers as well, and, or are you sort of focusing more in programming languages?
0: Um, I think the intentions of the committee that selects all the talks for for Yahoo is to give a um, um, wide range of, of topics, but still around the main area of focus of the conference. So in the case of like um, Connected, which is all about mobile and IoT, there would be talks about uh, design and UX, uh, although I think that most of the talks would be around development. I Mm. actually haven't looked uh, at the the speaker list very well, but I can tell you that last year, the two keynotes were not about development at all. They were about uh, UX and design of everyday objects. It was very cool.
4: Yeah, I can say from my perspective, from my actual talks that I did last year, um, I put in a lot of code into my slides uh, and then had a lot of people kind of look back at me with confused faces. So even if you're not super techie, um, you're actually around peers because a lot of people kind of, they come along because they're interested in the emerging tech stuff and they're wanting to find out more. So even if you're not super, super techie, um, it is kind of, it's a conference for everybody. And like Joe said, the keynotes last year, you didn't have to be techie at all.
1: So, yeah. Um, it- There's a lot of, uh, I guess, writing and and authoring and sort of um, demonstrations up on stage and so forth. Do you guys um, like to build anything as a result of this or have you heard of anything coming out of Yao where an idea was formed at at Yao and and went on to bigger and better things?
0: I haven't heard of anything like spinning up. Oh, here's the new great app idea from from Yao. But I definitely... um, brought back with me some like tips and tricks that, mm-hmm. I, that I've seen on stage and I hope that my, my talk helped and that the talk that I'm going to give this year as well will help other developers to, you know, just take little bits of code that they can use. Uh, what I definitely know is that it's a great place to uh, make new connections. You mm-hmm. connected, mm-hmm. you can make new connections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw you did yeah. <laughs> And just to meet other people with interests similar to yours, and hopefully, maybe if I find work opportunities.
3: Um, I'm just curious because you guys are doing Internet of Things and connectedness. Do you have any cool like hardware demonstrations lined up this year? Do you know if anyone's got any cool gadgets to show off at their talk?
0: Well, I, I don't know about this year, About last year, um, I unfortunately don't remember his name, but like. Um, a guy gave a um, pretty cool talk where he showed out all new they weren't really prototypes or but they were just the bleeding edge of all the gizmos that he had for and he was working for, for SAP, SAP, mm-hmm. and they were doing a lot of like um, research work ala- around Australia and the world. So he showed this software that they built. Um, he actually mentioned Google Glass before and said like people are freaked out that you are filming them. And he was like, yeah, that's true. But like uh, parcels on the other end, they don't get freaked out if you look at them with the Google Glass. And so they built this uh, tracking software for big warehouses where the... Employee would just wear Google Glasses, which would give them direction to all the racks and shelves. And they also had um, a bracelet with gyrosop- gyroscopes and accelerometers, and they used that one together with Google Glass to do a 3d modeling sort of like augmented reality simulation of um operation for a doctor so they could just pretend that they were touching all the nerves and things without actually doing it that was pretty cool
3: that's so cool
0: yeah yeah i was very impressed i'm just
3: i'm just picturing that like operations game where you like get little buzz when you get the wrong thing only with like the bracelet being like (laughs) yeah yeah,
0: he could zap (laughs) you
1: so um Am I right in guessing that your uh, your talk this year is uh, less conventional
0: Swift, is that right? Uh, correct.
1: Okay, so w- what is less conventional Swift?
0: Uh, well, spoiler alert, I guess. Yep. Um, since Swift has, has been introduced and the way Swift has been designed as a language is very open for to be used in a sort of, it's called functional way. hmm and there's a different way b- sort of branches of functional programming one of them is very very academic mm-hmm. and it uses very mathematical concepts and weird symbols for example they talk about like functor and Monarch, these like scary scary names um This, like writing Swift, writing code in that way would be unconventional. It would be like very hipster Swift. Right. And that is not what my talk is about. My talk is about less conventional Swift. So let's try to take ideas from this sort of very academic, weird world of functional programming that we can easily introduce in our um, everyday software that we build to, you know, be more productive.
1: Patrick, what, what's what's your particular interest in the, the conference this here? What are you looking forward to?
4: Uh, well, my particular talk that I'm doing, I'm half looking forward to and half just hoping it goes really well. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about um, virtual reality, but on the WebVR side of things, so putting virtual reality into the browser so that you can just go to a web page and have virtual reality pop up where you can just plug in your headset or use a Google Cardboard or anything like that to access virtual reality. Um, so I'm going to be talking all about that and trying to give some live demos. Um, I've got a few kind of plans to try and hope that there is no way anything could go wrong. Um, and so I will tempt the fate gods by saying, what could possibly go wrong? It'll all go perfectly fine.
3: Are you making a um, sacrifice to the demo gods?
4: I may. I may. I might.
3: I recommend take
4: it. somebody else's technology yeah. and I will set it on fire. <laughs> and that will ensure do, do wonderful I- times for my talk.
1: Do, do you have a, a favorite VR platform that you've been working with? Or? Uh,
4: I personally love the Vive, um, the HTC Vive, mainly because uh, of the room scale where you can walk around. You get a bit more of a feel for the space and a lot less people feel a bit sick or awkward in it because you're kind of not stuck to one spot. You kind of can walk around, see things from different angles, and it's a bit easier to kind of lose yourself in VR when you're kind of able to stand up and walk around. It feels a bit more healthy too. And sitting in a chair the whole time
1: mm. um I'm interested to know with with such a broad um program and sort of broad church of um um topics um what is the thing that everyone wants to talk about when they get together um what what's the um the, the vibe of the um the conference like
0: well Hello. go patrick I'll let you go, yeah. <laughs> Everyone is being very polite well i'll I'll take the hint and i'll go um <laughs> everyone is super friendly over there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's an Australian thing or it's just a Melbourne thing or Mm it's a Yao thing, but like everyone is super friendly and so it's very easy to just start talking about stuff. Mm -hmm. What I usually do to sort of introduce myself to someone that I haven't met before is just asking, hey, what's the talk that interested you the most? Mm -hmm. Like uh, what are the talk that you are most looking forward to? Mm. And yeah, I think uh, everyone sort of like, ah, yeah, likes to just chat about their impression on the talk that they, they attended the the keynotes are also usually very topical so it's easy to you know bounce opinions around them that's cool yeah it's I
4: think one of the things that I've found a lot of people talk about in general um, is a lot more of the newer emerging tech side of things so things which not as many people know that much about so I think there's going to be tons to talk about virtual reality um, last year especially there was a big talk. Um, that was from Josh, Josh Clark about changing of interfaces, and how we're moving away from mobile phones and staring at our screens to trying to, you know, move interfaces into the real world where, you know, you look forward, the sort of thing that Google Glass was trying to be, but how we're gonna kind of do that, but in a better way, which people actually adopt. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're talking to people in general, you're gonna start talking about all that stuff. Virtual reality, artificial intelligence, um, really kind of cutting-edge mobile stuff. So things like the um, Google's whole Project Tango stuff and having kind of the ability to sense a room and kind of see depth and all that sort of thing. So all the new stuff is the fun stuff you get to chat about with people because they're usually pretty keen on that. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so do either of you guys have um, any particular tips for, for the first time of getting along to a YAR conference in Melbourne? What, what would be
4: your advice? I've got some Pretty simple tips, which kind of work with every conference. Um, Basically, meet people, no matter what. um, Chat to attendees. But not only that, actually go and speak to the speakers who are speaking at the talks. Because all of us are actually a lot more approachable than you think. Even the keynote speakers who you think are, like, high and mighty and incredible because they're so good. So surely they won't want to speak to you. But really, they're actually cool to just kind of have a chat. They're willing to share their knowledge with you and all of that sort of thing so don't feel like you can't go and speak to people um, not just at Yao, but at every conference people are very keen to share their knowledge and you never know you could start speaking to people and get this whole idea um you could work together you never know what's going to happen uh and the other thing is always have a really thorough look at the schedule before you arrive at the conference um yeah it's all up online already um and make sure you know what you want to see specifically know what's coming so that you don't miss anything because Every year so far, every conference I go to, I miss at least one or two talks that I really should
1: have been at. Uh, Gio, I understand you've got uh, an offer to our listeners as well if they if they do want to get along.
0: Yeah, that's super true. Well, um, ER Connected is offering a fifteen percent discount code for all the listeners if they want to, you know, purchase a ticket, and they simply have to use the code tripolar FM. That's R FM.
1: Uh, check out. And, uh, you can get that at, uh, uh, where all the stuff is. Um, guys, it sounds like a, a super fun time. Um, it's a great time of year to be out, um, and chatting to other developers and, um, designers and UX people and everyone who works in this industry. So we hope
0: it's a, a great time.
4: Yeah, thank yeah, you. Everybody, come! It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm <laughs>
0: so, so looking forward to that. And you know, come, come, talk to us and say, yeah, looking forward to your talk. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's not true.
1: <laughs> uh, we have had a, a wealth of good conversations from Web Directions. Um, Laura um, caught up with pretty much every um, knowledgeable and, and worthwhile person um, at the event. Um, she stayed up for three days straight. Um,
3: I I did stay up pretty late, to be fair.
1: (laughs) Well past your bedtime. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we're gonna have a chat with uh, another person now, um, who he's speaking to.
3: Yeah, so, um, I had a catch up with this guy called Hattie Michael, who's, um, he's a developer. He's actually gone back to, or he's gone over to England to do some learning about Technology policy and how the intersection between government policy and tech actually affects our lives. Um, and he was a, he was a really interesting guy. He's very very like um, like clearly a proficient and excellent um, developer in his own right, and had been working as a consultant at Deloitte for a while. But had had a lot of thoughts about these bigger issues of how um, technology policy affects us. And um, if you're not sure what that means, just think about what happened with the census, and that should give you an idea of why um, technology policy is actually really important in our daily lives um so this this chat was great and if you're interested in this he's actually also written a blog that's kind of the longer version so we'll tweet that out if you're interested to read a bit more to hottie michael he's a super cool dev and he's done a ton of stuff so i'm gonna let him tell you about it
5: uh, my name is Hattie I've spent the past few years working in consulting for an agency called Deloitte Digital mm-hmm. uh, and during that time we, we tend to work mostly with uh, very large enterprises sort of, sort of ASX 200 companies which include like banks and um, large maybe healthcare providers and agriculture
3: mm-hmm.
5: uh, and also working with governments to, to help them make the best use of, of web technologies mm-hmm. yeah mostly focused on, on the web
3: yeah, cool. Um, that's that's such a great slash challenging space to be in. You're now off to try and do a little bit more work on that from a well-known university over in the UK?
5: Yeah, that's right. So I'm about to move to the UK to do a Master's of Technology Policy at mm-hmm. the Judge Business School at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, quite quite excited. I feel like there's not enough uh, engineers in this sector who are stopping to think about the implications of government regulation on, on what we do. And mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, quite excited to spend the next year sort of thinking about this and and having really interesting discussions and and debates on the topic.
3: Yeah, it's great. On behalf of, like, developers everywhere, thank you, because I think we all know that right now the people writing the legislature do not have even the smallest inkling of the implications of the policy they write. So, yeah, we definitely need more people like you. Perhaps on that topic, um, what keeps you up at night? What kinds of technology challenges or potential problems kind of, you know, give you the cold creeps?
5: You know, this feeds quite nicely into why I'm going off to, to study technology policy. I, I feel like, so, government has, has been involved in, in technology for, for a very long time. And, and my observation has been that regulation has been very much focused on the infrastructure layer of, of the web. So very much focused on the internet. You're regulating the telecommunications companies, regulating the radio spectrum and bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of mass surveillance is happening at that network level as well. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen, um, I mean, and this has been on for a while, but we're seeing more of it in more recent times, is regulation starting to step into the application layer of things, right? So starting to see governments intervene um, with uh, applications such as, say, Uber, and, and a lot of it comes from um, public backlash. And, you know, again, looking at services like uh, Airbnb and so on, we see it also with um services around the internet of things and as, you know, we put out more physical devices out there, governments are concerned about that data and where that goes, and that plays into e-health and, and everything else. Mm. Um, and I think what's keeping me up at night now is engineering teams just not, not being considered or thinking about what kind of compliance they need to do as they build applications, but also the power they have in influencing legislation mm. through the applications that they're building mm. in the moment.
3: Mm. So if someone's building something really disruptive and groundbreaking like, you know, Uber coming into the taxi industry and just shaking everything up, you think part of that responsibility is to think about how that affects the legal and policy rights of workers, like all of those issues that have come up with Uber. Do you think that the job of the enterprise or the developer team is to also think about those future implications of how their technology changes that space?
5: So yeah, I mean, a lot of products that are built on the web have fundamentally changed the way we um, experience society and, and work together. When you, when you can swipe left and right and have that influence, a real physical world interaction that you have. Do you, as an engineering team, have a responsibility around that that mm-hmm. interaction that's taking place in the physical world? And is there is there a place there for government to be intervening and and um, you know taking taking part in that? So, I mean, always I don't know too much about. Um, I can't really comment on Uber per se, but it's it's. I think there's definitely a role if you if you're building products that. Uh, you think could come um, under government regulation, or anything that might change the way society interacts with one another. You kind of have this responsibility mm. to be thinking about that kind of stuff.
3: Mm. So the ethics of tech beyond like the pure market forces. Hey.
5: Yeah, right. So it's it's funny. i was having a conversation with um, some colleagues at Deloitte who are really into design, mm. and they've been thinking a lot about so, the responsibilities of designers mm. and the, the moral responsibilities that designers have when when they you know design new experiences for people. You know, you've got um, younger generation who's growing up in a world that haven't known anything but the existence of iPads and of, of digital interaction and digital experience so as a designer designing you're working that human computer interaction space and designing experiences for it do you have a moral responsibility or obligation there to, to think about that, that experience and mm-hmm. the impact mm-hmm. it can have
3: And also the impacts of designing bad experience or dark patterns in or any, any kind of like non-optimal outcomes that, that might be like benefiting your bottom line but aren't necessarily great for the end user.
5: and you see that, right? So um, a good example here is to look at sort of cookie regulation in the EU, right? So the EU passed this regulation um, almost a decade ago now, saying you know if, if you're going to use cookies and protection of data privacy, you need to notify your users, and that's why we see a lot of banners coming from European websites. Mm-hmm. And users have we've kind of trained users to just hit, oh yeah, okay, dismiss and move on. And I I sometimes question the value of these of these banners and their effectiveness today. So mm-hmm. is there Again, going back to the the regulation, but when you define or describe new legislation in the spirit of protecting user privacy, Mm -hmm. having a solid understanding of the technology that underlies it and the design that you know will will outlive or survive the test of time, I think is is, something that people have to think about.
3: Yeah, it's a really good point. I think um, the EULA is a really good example of it as well. Like yeah. the way that people just never pay any attention to them. They that's just right. click yes and Yeah, yeah giving so. away my children for the yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Firstborn child. <laughs> Modern fable. Oh yeah.
5: Yeah, that's so true.
3: All right. Well moving on to maybe more more positive topics. What things are getting you excited in the morning? Like what do you want to get up and hack on?
5: Oh my god. Okay. Um, so I've spent a lot of time in uh spent sort of the bulk of the last year working in agriculture mm-hmm. and looking at the the role that technology has to play in automating technology on farms, and I think that that space, that again, bridging into the Internet of Things and, and what's happening there, I'm finding that really quite fascinating, and the role that the web can play um, in helping address those problems. I mean, if you look at uh, farming as an as an industry, we you know we have a growing population, growing towards you know, nine point seven billion over the next um, 35 years. We know that the amount of land that's been given to us, uh, that's been given to agriculture, isn't really going to go, you're not going to get more land allocated to ag and Um, water is in, is a scarce resource along with everything else. And the only way we're going to meet sort of food demand or, you know, being able to clothe the world or deal with, um, you know, commodity demand for commodity crops growing is to sort of double and improve yields. Mm -hmm. And looking at the role the technology has had in, in doing all of that has been really quite fascinating. And that's something I've been quite excited to work on the past, Mm the past little while. And obviously everything else is happening in, on the web. I mean, um, obviously, what's happening in JavaScript is really exciting. So working with frameworks like you know React and um, and everything that comes with that ecosystem has obviously been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: super cool. Yeah, everything has been changing fast, but I think um, it feels to me like the change is a little bit more mature. Even if that makes any sense, like things are not as wild and um, frontier technology as that maybe we were with, like five or ten years ago. There's a lot of change, but it's considered change.
5: See that's interesting, right? Because when when React first came into the picture, a lot of people thought that was quite obscene. I was quite crazy. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean? You're going to like, you know, do this whole whole copy of the DOM and virtual memory and, and mm-hmm. try to diff it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're right. We, we are we're definitely taking maybe step changes, but they uh, maybe they feel. I still I still think they're quite they're quite big changes. I mm-hmm. don't know if. Um, yeah, I don't know how I don't know. I can't quite think on my feet how I would describe. Uh, The difference in the last change versus the changes that we've seen in the past. But what we know for a fact is that the web industry is constantly evolving and the beauty of the whole open web platform being based on open standards and, and all that means that different organizations can work to solve the same problems different ways. And if you're a web designer building, you know, an awesome WordPress website for the flower shop down the road, you're using the exact same technology that, you know, Twitter and um, Google are using to, mm. to display their web pages and, and that's really quite exciting and yeah. the forgiving nature of the web is also pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, it's pretty nice. Not only can you use the same tech, you can just literally stare at the styles if you want. You can like hop into their JavaScript and their CSS and just go yep, I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well one last silly question. What is your current digital junk food and or like guilty pleasure?
5: Okay, Wow. Well, um, I guess Twitter is the obvious one, right? Spending way too much time on Twitter. Uh, I have been... Um, So listening to a lot of podcasts, so maybe doing like a couple of hours, couple of hours of podcasts a day. Mm -hmm. And um, now that sort of I'm in between, so leaving Deloitte and and making the move overseas, um, I've like downloaded hours and hours and hours of podcasts. So I'll be definitely going through a lot of those.
3: Yeah, good travel entertainment. Like, yeah, cool. Well, thank you, Hadi. It's been great to chat.
5: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
3: And that was Hottie Michael from Web Directions um, Code earlier in the year. Um, it was a really great chat. And I think he's got some very interesting thoughts about policy, um, government policy for how it affects application layer. And I think particularly as we think about our politicians right now and their ability to, say, articulate and think about the technology um, industry, it, it is really relevant to our lives right now. And I think it w- maybe bears a little bit more thinking and a little bit more engagement from the technology sector. So yeah, good on him for doing that work. And I hope more people get excited to, to get in there.
1: And I, I guess anyone who's got their hands in our trash probably has a pretty good idea of what we've been doing and what we should be doing in the mm. future. I can't believe it actually had did have experience with that, which is great. <laughs> i'm joking
3: oh garbage garbage collection yes it is 7:49 on bite into it and we are now going to think about some interesting things coming up for the rest of the week
1: well yeah we're going to a bill first and then we're going to talk about what's coming up um there's just a few minutes left in the show um uh, but we did want to talk about um a few things that are going on um if you caught Breakfasters yesterday, we were talking about um, um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, robotics, and, and ethics, um, and driverless cars did come up. Um, one of the interesting um, things that came up was there have been, uh, I think in the Google um, Google X project and, and driverless cars there, there's been 14 incidents, and I mean, whatever you think about them and the parent company – They are doing their best to be transparent with how this project is going. Um, There's been 14 incidents. Interestingly, none of them have involved um, the autonomous driving program. It's either been when the manual driver has taken over and driven it or people have been running into the back of them. which is interesting. You, um, can
3: you describe incidents a little more?
1: Uh, so, they've mostly been uh, rear-enders, so mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of fender-benders, really. Mm-hmm. So, there, mm-hmm. I don't think there have been collisions with pedestrians or bicycles. It's only been other cars mm-hmm. um, so far.
3: So, the solution is more self-driving cars, not fewer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, there was an interesting quote from Elon Musk about um, uh, lawmakers being asked to um, discuss whether we should actually be allowed to drive anymore um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a conversation mm-hmm. to have I future. saw
3: that. Yeah, that was interesting. Um Look, I mean, I I think I've seen a fair few bad drivers in the time and maybe had a thought that's not dissimilar from why are you on the road? Um, mm. Certainly, we don't do a good job of um, reassessing people's skill set and ability to drive over yeah. time. Um but, but yeah, like it is, it's a very interesting future to contemplate. Like, why would you even drive? But well, You have things to do that for you. You have um, machines and computers to do that for you. And why would you do that? It adds risk.
1: Hmm. It'd be interesting if you had, like, an old program in your car and you were driving in, like, a 1970s way. So, you know, oh, look at that old program. It should be retired. Like, driving <laughs> a Monaro down the road at, like, 150, you know. Um
2: I think it'd be interesting to see, and I don't want to foreshadow this or, or get anyone down, but, like, it's, it will happen that at some point there will be an accident involving a driverless car where someone is, seriously injured or killed. Hmm. And... Is that gonna? That's already stop- happened. Yeah, like so it hasn't stopped anyone in its tracks in um, terms of in terms of uptake or anything like that.
3: Well, I mean, I, I think you guys probably heard about the Tesla accident where the car mm. failed to see the truck that was right in front of it because it in was the basically, snow. yeah, it was almost indistinguishable from the color of the sky. But also, neither did the driver. And I think importantly, with these betas, like they they can take back control at any time if they need to. Um, but certainly, um, from all accounts, the guy who was driving that car was a big Tesla fan and knew the risks that he was. Taking being a beta tester and, you know, was sort of like hey, rah, rah technology, and maybe wouldn't have wanted it to stop. Mm. Um,
2: Suffered for his art.
3: Suffered for his art. Well, his technology art.
1: technology art. Oh, technology is art. Let's let's be real about it. Mm -hmm. If uh, if you're interested in this topic, uh, there is a uh, a symposium, uh, driverless cars and road safety. Uh, What will this mean for you? Um, At the Melbourne Exhibition Centre, it is coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, Wednesday the 12th of October. Um, You will be able to catch the start of the symposium before you need to bite into it um interesting yeah it's uh obviously no longer science fiction uh something that um we all will have to deal with um uh in our lifetime uh there's some great panelists um from australia and overseas um uh, a number of journalists as well um that is on uh six six till seven thirty p.m mm. at the Ex- exhibition mm. center free entry um, mm. and you can, um, obviously catch public transport or get your driverless car down there. Mm. For sure. Uh, Code Club
2: Australia is the network of volunteers and educators getting kids coding. And, uh, thanks to the Telstra Foundation, they're putting on a free professional development for educators and teachers who are keen on getting their students coding in the classroom. It's, uh, proudly supported by Acme's Screen at 2016. Um, if you're interested in, uh, getting down and, uh, learning how to teach some coding to, uh, your, your young charges, um, the, Monday the 14th, November is when it's at, um, 9.30 till 3.30. So it is a full day at Acme in Federation Square. We'll tweet out links to uh, get yourself registered.
3: Can't recommend this strongly enough. This is this is the literacy of the future. People like, mm. please, teachers get excited about teaching young people code, and please, parents get excited about teaching your your children code. Like it's the, the, the most valuable skill you can give them. Mm.
2: I was at a restaurant yesterday on a, on a similar topic. This little kid walked in with his parents. He was wearing like a coding camp T shirt. I was like, you mm. go, kid. We mm. love you. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Definitely get involved.
3: You are the future. Um, there's one more event that I actually want to shout out to you, which I forgot to pop in, which is, um, at Reddings Carlton next Wednesday, there is an event from an author called Tim Dunlop who wrote a book. He's a Melbourne guy and he wrote a book called Why the Future is Workless. And it is about what happens after AI and automation takes over 90% of the blue collar jobs, mm. which, you know, some futurists predict in the next something, I think around 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, it's, it's a really interesting book and he's a really, really fascinating author as well as I think, developer. Mm. Um, and he's local talent. So, you know, go get it down. It's a free event, I think, 6.30 onwards, and we will tweet that link out as well.
1: Sounds great. Uh, one of the uh, other things that is also great, just a, a little bit of weirdness um, towards the end of the show, um, if you're sick of standing around in lines, uh, you won't necessarily have to do that uh, in the future. Um, one of the large uh, car manufacturers has got a, a thing called the ProPilot, um, which is an autonomous chair. Um, designed to make uh, waiting for things a lot easier. So, sitting around in a chair is too much work for you. Um, they'll also move the chair for you okay,
2: as well. Okay, so with driverless cars and chairs that move themselves, we're moving dangerously towards Wally and I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, the video of the chairs, like, very politely waiting and moving up is, is, is kind of endearing in a Japanese sort of way, but mm-hmm. I think surely waiting in a line
1: isn't that bad? Well, uh, waiting in a line, um, if you want it that much, you probably should stand for it, but um, future mobility. So, Obviously, for um, uh, people with um, uh, illnesses or injuries, um, for the elderly, um, being able to get around is always an important thing. So um, this is uh, a a good uh, concept. Um, We might go out with a bit of a track. Uh, We've got some Clams Casino uh, coming up for you right now. Uh, We've been butt Into It. It's been Laura, Dan and Warren. Uh, Thank you very much to our guests. Um, It's been a fun show tonight. Um, We look forward to catching you next week.